This is Diving Board, a new show about artists, the art they create, and the wide range of social and cultural ideas they explore. I'm Bill Valerio, and I run the Woodmere Art Museum, where we tell the stories of Philadelphia's art and artists. And I'm Stephanie Marudis of Cuvenda Media, where we produce Narratives for Social Change. This is part one of our story about Violet Oakley. And if you haven't heard our preview, go back and listen to that first so you know what to expect. All right, let's get started. There's a love story coming, but Bill first is going to take us back to the beginning of Violet um, and tell us about her as the artist and the person. And then we promise we will get to the love story. The love story is good. Violet was born in 1874 in northern New Jersey to a family of artists and artisans. She died in 1961, having lived through an extraordinary period of American history. She lived through the Reconstruction period after the Civil War. She lived through the Spanish-American War, the First World War, the Great Depression, World War II, and the beginnings of the Cold War. So Violet experienced an incredible amount of social and cultural change in her lifetime. And her family was living in New York City. They were hit hard by the financial panic of 1893, a major economic depression. And her father, who worked on Wall Street, but who was also an artist, uh, lost his job and he couldn't find work. And unfortunately, his mental condition got worse and he had to be institutionalized. It was a family tragedy. Violet, her sister, and her mother sold the family house. They moved to Philadelphia, where they sought medical treatment for their father. Violet and her sister, Hester, had to support themselves and had to support their mother, and they used their innate talent as artists, as illustrators, you know, to earn the money that they needed to live. Violet also began taking classes at the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, where society painter and portraitist Cecilia Bow was her important teacher. Violet quickly transferred to the Drexel Institute of Art, Science, and Industry, which we now know as Drexel University. At Drexel, she studied under the great American illustrator Howard Pyle, and she became part of a group that we know as the Red Rose Girls. These women illustrators lived together with their parents in a building in Villanova, known as the Red Rose Inn. The rooms in the inn made for perfect artist studios. She had tremendous natural talent. She did not have a great education, but she was a precocious artist who was trained within the family. And because of this, she could work in any medium. You just heard the voice of Patricia Lycos Ricci, an art historian at Elizabethtown College, who is the lead scholar in the world today on Violet Oakley. We are fortunate at Woodmere to have worked with her, and she's the guest curator of our exhibition. She could work in illustration. She could work in black and white or color. She could design for stained glass. She was not above designing medallions and seals and book plates, uh, portraits. And then she could tackle mural painting, which involved 
being able to write a coherent intellectual program filled with either historical narratives or symbolism, levels of complexity in allegories that could stand for all time. I mean, that was the view of making uh, murals for civic buildings. And few artists could do that. They were phenomenal projects, and most painters really wanted to have a piece of that action. And Violet was one of those artists who ended up getting a piece of that action. In 1902, when she was 28, not too well known, the Pennsylvania State Capitol architect, who was a man named Joseph Houston, picked her to paint a series of murals in the governor's reception room. This was a big deal. She had never painted murals in a civic building, although she had done a a very important mural commission for a church with stained glass windows that had received wonderful reviews. But she was basically an unknown, and Joseph Houston was willing to give her the opportunity, take a chance on her. And she was paid $20,000 to produce this work. She had four years to do it. And the artist was required to pay for all her own materials or assistance. She painted the governor's reception room murals entirely herself. It was at a time when she was supporting her mother and when she had no other source of income. And she absolutely had to take that on. So that mural series really made her reputation. She got wonderful reviews. After that, she had many other opportunities. And so Violet left the state capitol. She went on to do many big projects. And about a decade later, she got invited back to the state capitol to do more murals. The main muralist at the Pennsylvania state capitol was Edwin Austin Abbey. And he had been given the House of Representatives, the Senate chamber, and the Supreme Court, which was an enormous and unrealistic amount of work for anyone to do. But in August of 1911, he died. So the question was, who was going to get this very lucrative and prestigious commission? And the newspaper reports at the time in Philadelphia indicate that the overwhelming opinion was, give it to Violet Oakley. There was a great deal of support for her. Uh, And of course, there was a discussion about all of the men who were available. But as it turned out, they began to discuss the possibility with Violet Oakley. She knew the building. She knew everyone involved. It it would not have been uh, difficult for her to take it on. And then there was the negotiation about the price. Now, Abby was receiving $50 a square foot, and Oakley much less than that when she started, but not terribly inappropriate for a beginner, let's say. But when it was time to negotiate, Oakley demanded that she would receive the same pay, that if she was going to take on Abby's commission, they would have to pay her what they paid Abby. And this was an important issue that was starting to emerge among working class women and other women as well. A lot of agitation about raising wages for women and parity. Now, we haven't achieved parity yet, but she did not compromise. In any way, when it came to her principles, she was going to do it with a sense of justice about the quality of her work and fairness. And so they agreed. Oakley was really concerned that she not just be considered this token woman artist. It was a little surprising to her that when she got uh, Abby's commission, 
1911. The newspaper's headlines were the same as they had been in 1902. Woman, it said, woman to receive Abbey Commission. As the, the, and this is the, the greatest commission ever given to a woman. In 1902, it was the first commission given to a woman. And within this long interview with the Times, she says, I certainly hope people don't think it's extraordinary just because I'm a woman. There is no sex in art. And she wanted to move out of that uh, biologically determined mindset that existed at that time, that manifested itself in these sort of separate spheres of men and women's activities. Violet Oakley became very famous as a result of the murals in Harrisburg, and by 1917, she was already famous across the country. She was recognized as a leading muralist in the movement we now call the American Renaissance. This was a period in which artists helped rebuild and transform our nation's great cities and state capitals to create an American culture that equaled, if not surpassed, the great world-class cities of Europe. Not only was Violet very famous in 1917, she also was teaching at the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. She became the second woman to teach there, following in the footsteps of her own teacher, um, Cecilia Bow, who was a portraitist and society painter. And students came to the academy to work specifically with Violet, uh, including a young artist named Edith Emerson. And this is how Violet's great love story came to be. They fell in love and Edith became her apprentice and they lived together for more than 40 years in a time when it was very uncommon to be in an open same-sex couple. And Bill is going to share with us uh, some excerpts from a letter that Edith wrote to Violet early on in their relationship, which he has translated, by the way, from Italian to English. So Edith is an art student in her late teens, early 20s, and she wrote this letter to Violet in Italian. She writes the letter from the perspective in the voice of her alter ego, a Renaissance boy, a servant, Paige, named Giovanni and this page, Giovanni, dedicates his life to a great lady whose name is Mona Violetta, which translates to My Violet. As you will hear, it's both a love letter and an acceptance of what would become a lifetime of service, love, and devotion. The humble minister, Giovanni, sends greetings to Mona Violetta, My Violet, I count myself to be the most fortunate of mortals to work in the company of so generous a mistress. I shall always strive to show myself forever worthy of your great teachings. You have said our great God and our Lady would take care of all the necessities, and today I see you assist them in that work. I pray that I may protect you seven times, seven years, such that to serve you is my great happiness. Violet and Edith are what we would call today a power couple. Violet received commissions 
from across the country and around the world. Edith worked as an artist herself. She was a teacher, and she became the director of Woodmere Art Museum, which is my job today. Edith transformed Woodmere. It had been a private museum with the collection of its founder, Charles Knox Smith. And Edith, and I have to believe with Violet at her side, transformed it into a museum with a civic mission, and that is to be a museum dedicated to the artists of Philadelphia. During her tenure, her time as director of Woodmere, Edith collected the work of many artists who were her friends. These are artists we know today as the Pennsylvania Impressionists, and we're so fortunate to have that collection, um, as well as works by many women artists of their time. And this makes Woodmere's collection special as well. There were no museums that I know of at this time that had a woman at the helm, and it makes a difference in terms of what we are today. From my contact with Edith, because we talked at great length about Violet and her experience with her, that she would just glow when she talked about her, that she had adored her. She was the student in love with her teacher, and she was able to, you know, basically marry her and live with her for the rest of her life. And I spoke to many other people who knew the two of them, and people saw them as a couple, and they could see uh, the devotion they had for one another. They didn't conceal what they were. They lived how they chose to, and the burden was on anyone else who had any objection to the way that they lived. As we just heard, Patricia got to know Edith very well. She essentially became Edith's apprentice, and Edith entrusted her with some of her most treasured letters, photographs, and materials that tell the story of Violet Oakley. And just how did that even come to be? Uh, it's a very interesting story. Um, it goes back to the late 1970s when Patricia was an art student at the Moore College of Art and Design in Philadelphia. And she went to a special exhibition at the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. Uh, the exhibition was about the Academy and its history of women artists. And Patricia was really intrigued, and she was looking at you know the various works, and she came across a painting by Violet Oakley next to a painting by Edith Emerson. And this was the moment that inspired Patricia to reach out to Edith. And Patricia found out that Edith was the outgoing director at Woodmere, and she went and crashed the retirement party and introduced herself to Edith, told her who she was and that she wanted to learn more about Violet Oakley, uh, their relationship together, and the lost history of women's art. And so Edith and Patricia, from that day on, created a relationship, and that led Patricia to becoming the lead scholar on Violet Oakley. And we're going to hear from Patricia right now uh, describing the first time she walked into the studio that had belonged to Violet Oakley, um, which was where Edith Emerson was living at that time. So when I got there, she took me upstairs to the Oakley studio. It was really 
It's kind of dreamlike. She threw open the gigantic double arch doors that were oak that had all these studded nail heads on them, these medieval doors. And here was this sort of cathedral-like space, which was actually a barn that had been renovated for Oakley's murals. And it was filled with all of her work and stacks and stacks of drawings and letters and papers in deteriorating rubber bands that kind of <laughs> dissolved when you touch them. And she said, well, this is how you can learn about Violet Oakley because I've been waiting for someone to come and to help me with this. And, you know, that was our bargain. She was going to tell me, but I realized that she had saved everything and she had become really quite concerned about her age and what would become of it. So it was a race against time. Patricia is a great organizer. She helped Edith catalog, measure, assign numbers to, and ultimately distribute Violet's art to the different museums, the different collecting museums of the Philadelphia region. Another important character who enters the story at this time is one of my great idols, the legendary Anne Darnincourt, who was the director of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, one of the great museum directors of all time, and she became involved with this project of making sure that Violet's art would be cared for and stewarded properly by the great museums of the region. And again, because of these three strong women, Patricia, Edith, and Anne, Violet's legacy and the documents of her career are shared by the great art museums of Philadelphia and the broader region. So Anne Darnancourt decides that there needs to be an exhibition about Violet Oakley's work, and it should take place at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. She recruits one of her curators, her friend, my friend, Anne Percy, a great curator at the museum who's still working there and organizing terrific exhibitions. And they work together with Patricia, who they give the honor of writing the big catalog essay for the exhibition. Patricia was involved as a curatorial assistant, and um, this is what started her scholarly work on Violet. And the exhibition at Woodmere is rich and full of insights as a result of that, you know, great evolution of thinking. And to connect Violet to the social ideas and issues of her time. And that's what our exhibition is about. That wraps up part one of our series on Violet Oakley. If we've put you to sleep, I'm sorry, but check out part two, Violet's Vision, her murals in the Pennsylvania State Capitol. And if you haven't already, come see our exhibition on Violet Oakley at Woodmere on view through January 21st, 2018. To find out about our lectures, events, and performances, go to Woodmere's website, woodmereartmuseum.org and follow us on social media at Woodmere Art.